Today we begin our Lent series for the year. I uh, can't believe it's Lent already. And to, This year we're going to go on a journey to the cross. Uh, I've been talking the last few weeks about story and the importance of story and thinking in story. And so what I want to do is pick up on the stories that the gospel writers give us of Holy Week, of Jesus' journey to the cross. Because what the gospel writers are doing when they give us these stories is they're giving us uh, little little hints. Okay, They're leaving little breadcrumbs for us, trying to help us understand the meaning behind the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to journey with him, and we're going to journey uh, through a lot of the places, but also through the through with the people that he's with and uh, through the experiences that Jesus goes through. Um, so there's going to be some pictures. I'll try to put those up. Uh, on the screen as I'm preaching, uh, but I also have a handout that you can get in uh, in the description uh, below as, as we try to journey with Jesus to the cross and uh, get a little feel for, for what that journey was like for him. Th- this is actually a big theme in the Gospel of Luke. Luke has his whole gospel, uh, a lot of his gospel around this idea of heading towards Jerusalem. In Luke 9.51 it says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so Jesus turns his face to head to Jerusalem to go to the cross. That's Luke 9. He doesn't actually get there till Luke uh, 19. It takes him 10 chapters to get there. And, and on the way, Luke kind of reminds again and again, okay, we're heading toward Jerusalem. We're heading toward Jerusalem. And so we're going to head towards Jerusalem with Jesus. Jesus starts in the north, in the Galilee area. Now, he had two choices on getting to Jerusalem from there. He, he could have headed right down the spine of the Central Mountains and into Jerusalem, but that would have taken him through Samaria. And so the, the more common route was often to go down the Rift Valley where the Jordan River is. And uh, a lot of times you'd have to go to the other side of the Jordan, to the, what is now the nation of Jordan, and uh, follow that down. And then you would come uh, to the, or the Dead Sea, the, the lowest place on earth, and then you would turn to go up into the mountains to Jerusalem. And so that's the way Jesus went. And he, he came down to this place called Jericho. Now Jericho is a place with a lot of history. This is a very ancient city. It was there way before there was a nation of Israel. Uh, Jericho is at the far no- south of the Jordan River, which feeds into the Dead Sea. And by the time it gets there, uh, it's so salty that nothing can really live in that water, and if you go out in the water, you actually float. It's right about here at the Jordan River, just to the north of the Dead Sea, that the Israelites first came into the Promised Land. Okay, the, the mountains over on the Jordan side, somewhere up there is where Moses was taken up into heaven, where Elijah was taken up in uh, a chariot of fire. I mean, this is a, a big place for the history. Um, uh, David spent time in this region and then headed down. Uh, south to the to the area of En Gedi, um, this region also meant a lot for Jesus. Okay, it's right about here at the bottom of the uh, of the Jordan River, the south of the Jordan River, where where uh, John the Baptist was doing his baptisms. If you go to Israel today, you a lot of times you do baptisms in the north because it's cleaner up there. They've got a nice baptismal site, and uh, to the south there, there are all these minefields. Where, uh, where they were set up from battles between Jordan and Israel. And so you have to take your bus right through there, and it, it's not as appealing of a place. But, but it actually is the place where John was probably baptizing 
and where Jesus was baptized. Okay, so imagine Jesus getting baptized right where the Israel, right about where the Israelites came into the promised land. And then after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Well, there's this really neat monastery in the side of the mountain, right overlooking the, uh, the city of Jericho, the Rift Valley, the Dead Sea, and the Jordan River. And uh, this monastery is uh, set, it's a Greek monastery, and it's set over a cave where it's believed that Jesus stayed uh, for at least part of his journey in the wilderness. That's where the Judean wilderness begins. Uh, and in Israel, wilderness has nothing to do with woods. It's just a wild desert with lots of rocks. Okay, so, so Jesus would have started his 40 days in the wilderness right there. Uh, many times, Jesus would have come through this area. Um, and and it's, it's neat to see if, if, you ever, if you can see pictures or if you ever go there. You actually take these, uh, you have to take these cable cars up to the side of the mountain and then walk a bunch of stairs to go up to the monastery. And you can just see everything uh, about the, uh, the area. In fact, the, the cable car goes directly over some of the archaeological digs of ancient Jericho. So as, as Jesus is, is going there, he, he's been through this area many times. As a child, he used to come up to the temple every year. Uh, according to the Gospel of Luke. And he's walking through his stories. He's walking through Israel's stories. Uh, he's walking through it. It's a beautiful area. There's not a lot of trees in Israel, but this area has palm trees and sycamore trees. And um, so Jesus comes to this area. He's been through many times, maybe thinking about his stories and Israel's stories. And on the way in, he is stopped by a man named Blind Bartimaeus. Upon hearing that Jesus was coming that way, Bartimaeus cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The people rebuke him, saying, no, 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 be quiet. You know, don't mess with the master. Don't mess with the rabbi. But he keeps going. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and asked what he wanted, and Bartimaeus said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus tells him that his faith has made him well and instantly he can see. For some reason, he's still called blind Bartimaeus. Or maybe he should be called formerly blind Bartimaeus. This is an important moment in the gospel. Uh, because up until this point, Jesus has been pretty hush-hush about his identity. In fact, in the gospel of Mark, it's a big deal, this big theme of this secrecy. He heals people and says, okay, don't tell anybody. Okay, people recognize him as the as the son of God, and he says, "Don't don't tell anybody." But now the secrecy is over, and ironically, it's a blind man who sees him for who he is, this kingly figure, this son of David who will take the throne. Then, while in Jericho, Jesus has another interaction. He meets the chief tax collector and a very rich man named Zacchaeus. Now, he was a tax collector, which doesn't necessarily mean he was real dishonest. He was allowed. Uh, to charge what he wanted for his work on the taxes. Um, but he would be despised in the community, maybe because he was dishonest, but really because he had betrayed his countrymen and had taxed them on behalf of the Roman army. And so he was not welcome. He was considered a sellout, a traitor, and he was hated. But he's also short. We know from the song, he was a wee little man. And so as Jesus comes comes into town, he's not welcome in the crowds. He can't see over the crowds. So he climbs up in one of these sycamore trees that you can see around Jericho to this day. 
because he wants to see Jesus. Jesus calls him down, says that he's going to stay in his home. The people complain about this because of the company Jesus keeps. He, he, this is a major complaint they make a lot about Jesus, that he hangs out with the wrong crowd. Because after all, a, he was a sinner. He was somebody who would not have been welcomed in the temple. But Jesus loved to eat with outcasts. Zacchaeus assures Jesus he'd been trying to make things right and live a different kind of life. And listen in Luke 19, Jesus replies, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So here's Jesus. He's, he's already had Bartimaeus say that he's the son of David. Now he uses this phrase, the Son of Man, or the Son of God, saying that, that he is not just any human, not just a king, but he is this promised Messiah, this coming one. And so the identity of Jesus is coming out. The time is coming for him to do the work which he has come to do, and his mission to seek and to save the lost is coming to a head. And yes, even along the way, he's saving Bartimaeus and he's saving Zacchaeus, but he's on his way to do the ultimate act of saving that mission is going to take him to the cross. So Jesus goes through Jericho, stays with Zacchaeus, and then he turns to head uphill to uh, Jerusalem. Now Jericho is about 17 miles from Jerusalem. And in fact, there were a lot of people like priests that lived in Jericho that worked in Jerusalem. This is the whole idea of the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's a priest Who's, living in, who's leaving the temple to head down to Jericho. This would be a Passover. At Passover, the road would be especially full, and Jesus would have walked this road many times. The, the interesting part of the journey here is the elevation. Okay, The Dead Sea is the lowest point in the world. Uh, it's the lowest place you can go that's on land. It's not underwater in the entire world. You're so far below sea level. You are... Uh, in fact, 1,380 feet below sea level at the Dead Sea. Now, Jericho is uh, a few hundred feet above that because it's up the Rift Valley just a little bit. But still, you're low. In fact, um, yeah, one of the places where a lot, of, uh, a lot of people bought souvenirs when I led a trip to Israel was the lowest bar in the world, and it's a bar that's at the Dead Sea. But Jerusalem is in the mountains, and so think about this. Jericho to Jerusalem is only about 17 miles, but the change in elevation is about 3,370 feet. Now, again, Jericho is a little higher, so it would be a little less than that. But imagine the, the change. I've ridden that trip on a bus a couple of times now, and I will tell you, your ears pop the whole way up. Thousands of pilgrims would have been traveling working their way uphill towards the Passover as Jesus traveled. And as they climbed, they would sing from the Psalms of Ascent, or, the, or that would be Psalms 120 to 134. The Psalms speak of Jerusalem, God's help coming from the mountain, going up, lifting up your hands. There's all these themes in Psalm 120 to 134 that point to this up, because wherever you are from, you're always going up the mountain towards Jerusalem. So Jesus is singing songs with the pilgrims, and he, he's on his way up. But he doesn't go all the way to Jerusalem. He stops in near the nearby village of Bethany. 
Jesus comes into town sometimes before the week of, uh, of Passover. Um, and uh, it's estimated at festival time that Jerusalem would swell to three or four times its normal size. I mean, the place would just be packed. And so all the little towns would also host a lot of people. And Jesus, I, I could imagine being from the little town of, of uh, Nazareth, that uh, the, the loudness and the busyness of the city was uh, maybe exciting, but not when you were trying to sleep. Not for every day. So what Jesus would do, and we know he would do this fairly often, he would stay in this little town of Bethany uh, with some friends of his that, that we think may have been sort of wealthy patrons, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They seem to be wealthy enough, and we'll see their wealth here in a moment, but, but they had a home that could house Jesus and all of his entourage. Okay, Now, uh, Bethany is actually on the Mount of Olives, which is to the east of the city of Jerusalem. So there's, there's Jerusalem, and then there's this Kidron Valley, and then the Mount of Olives starts. And uh, at the bottom there in the valley would have been Gethsemane, the olive press. And then if you go around to the other side of the Mount of Olives, you'd found, find the town of Bethany. And there's also the town of Bethpage, which is some we, we think is somewhere sort of up on top of that Mount of Olives. Okay, but Bethany's about it's about 1.8 miles from Jerusalem. And it would have been it's a pretty walk, because you're walking along the Mount of Olives and then down the Mount of Olives and then going up into the city. Decent 50 50 minute walk. And so Jesus could stay in Bethany and then come into Jerusalem throughout the week for the festivals. Now, he's been here before. We know that Martha is the organize, organizer and the hard worker. Okay, uh, We don't know the birth order of this family, but I imagine Martha is the oldest. Okay, She's the one baking, cooking, getting things done. Um, Mary seems to me like the youngest. Okay, She, she kind of goes with her feelings, wants to be involved and live in the moment. Um, in fact, there's an incident where Martha gets mad at Mary because she's not helping in the kitchen the same way. And they have a brother, Lazarus. Lazarus is an interesting character because Lazarus never speaks. He never has any lines in all of the Gospels. And uh, it's interesting, you know, normally the men would have been listed first before his sisters. But it's also, it's always in the Gospels, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, or Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Lazarus is always last. I kind of wonder if Lazarus may have had some kind of disability some kind of reason why maybe he's listed last and he doesn't speak. I wonder if he had Down syndrome. I have a brother with Down syndrome, so uh, that kind of appeals to me. I mean, we, we just don't know, but there, there's an oddity that he doesn't speak. Okay? And not long before this, Lazarus had died, and Jesus had delayed his coming back so that when he got to Bethany, Lazarus was already dead and in the tomb for four days. And the, the Jewish belief was that your soul left after four days. So, so Lazarus is there, and he's, um, uh, he's in the tomb, and every, everybody's kind of getting on Jesus. Mar Martha comes to him, comes charging in. Mary kind of comes later, fitting their personalities, I think. And Jesus weeps with all of them, and then he, he tells them to open the, uh, the tomb. They, they try to press back, no, but it's going to smell. But he says, open the tomb, and he calls Lazarus, and Lazarus comes out with his with his wrappings on and uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead okay much of the town had seen this and had been in mourning with that family and the story has spread throughout Jerusalem and so Jesus is known for this 
This is probably Jesus' first time back since that happened. We're not quite sure the timeline. Um, but, but probably fairly recently, uh, Jesus had done this. And now he's back into town. And since he's there and a bunch of people are there, there's a uh, big banquet held by a man named Simon the leper. We don't know who this Simon is. Probably he was a leper. Some have suggested that maybe Bethany was a leper colony. That might explain Lazarus, too. Maybe Lazarus had been another leper that Jesus had healed. and uh, But we're not sure. Simon the leper has a banquet. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all at the banquet. And let me read the story from John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was with whom he had Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took an expensive ointment made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with me, but you do not always have me. When the crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Mary, in this party, anoints Jesus' head with oil, and there's several descriptions of this oil. It's called ointment. That would have been like a fragrant perfume. In those days, they, they didn't make things based on alcohol that you could spray it was perfumes, all of those things were thicker, more like ointments than the liquid that we use today. Uh, it's called nard, indicating it's ointment made from a spike nard plant. It's called pure, meaning it's the best oil. Okay, It, it would be an oil from the first press. Uh, it's not counterfeit. It's also called very expensive. In fact, it's said that it's 300 denarii's worth. Okay, now the average worker worked uh, a day for about a denarii's wage. So when we say 300 denarii, that's about a, a year's worth of work. Okay, a year's salary on this fluid would seem extravagant to many, showing again the wealth of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So Mary takes this expensive oil and first anoints the feet of Jesus. This is something the servants would do. They would, they would wash the feet of someone who, especially on a journey like that, you can imagine how dry and cracked your feet would get. So they would wash your feet. And then a lot of times oil was used um, to, uh, to moisturize and take care of your feet. But, but it was odd that Mary would do this. And then that Mary would use her hair uh, as the towel, as the rag, to anoint his feet. Such, such humility and such love. She also anoints his head. This is the kind of anointing that was done with kings. In fact, the word Messiah uh, it just means anointed one because it refers to the act of anointing with oil, like would happen to a king or to a priest. 
And, and the word Christos that we use, Jesus Christ, Christos is the Greek word for this anointing because Christos was a kind of oil as well. Now Judas Iscariot objects to such a lavish action. Right? He, he thinks, all that money we, we could use for the poor, but, but somehow John knows that he helps himself to the money. I can imagine they'd have conversations of Judas, uh, you know, Judas, what, what are you doing with those new shoes? Um, so they knew that, that Judas, was something was up with Judas even then. But Jesus, Jesus um, defends Mary. He says, let her do it. Why? Because the poor you're always going to have, but, but you're not always going to have me. See right there, Jesus knows what's coming. Like this is so important for the story. He knows what's coming. He knows he is heading towards his death. He knows he's not going to make it out of there. And, and, and so all of the, all the secrets are out, right? There's no more pretending he's not the son of man and the son of God. He's not the Messiah, the chosen one. Now he's not the one they're expecting. This isn't going to go how everybody thinks it's going to go. But, but all his humility and secrecy uh, is not necessary the same way. Jesus is going to be humble through all this, but, but he's also deserving of the praise and the honor. We're going to see that on Palm Sunday uh, next week as we do that story. Okay, that Jesus is, is finally there. And as he, as he celebrates Sabbath in Bethany, he knows that the next Sabbath he's going to spend in the tomb. He's on the other side of the, the Mount of Olives celebrating with his friends and partying with Simon the leper and Lazarus and Mary, Martha. All the disciples are there. He knows that on the other side of that hill, he's going to go to the cross. He's going to face a terrible, terrible death. And yet he's doing it. He's heading there on purpose for you and for me. And the wheels are already in motion. Jesus is getting too popular. He's becoming too great a threat to the establishment. And they're already planning to end his message. They're even thinking about killing Lazarus because Lazarus raising from the dead is causing even more people to follow Jesus. And so as we journey to the cross, read some of these stories. Be thinking about the places and the people. Be thinking about what it was like for Jesus to head through Jericho and through his history, through Israel's history, to come into Bethany with his friends, to go through all these things, but to know he's going to be going to the cross. And he doesn't run away. He goes there. He goes to the cross for you and for me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.